How many of you guys are excited to be at New Life today to worship with others? Are you? I know that I am. I know that I am. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping at all of our campuses. As much as I am excited to be here at the Carnegie campus with you, I am equally as excited to know that we have others worshiping with us at North Platte, Ogallala, and online. Isn't that fun to be one church in multiple locations? I mean, come on. It's a lot of fun. All right. How many of you guys were here last week for Living Your Best Life Part 1? Can I just hear you? Okay. Congratulations, all right? You came back for part two. Let's, can we just pick up where we left off in part one with the, with the tortoise and the hare story, okay? Because it's deep, profound, all right? Deep and profound. So let's jump back in there. Like, when I was thinking about this week, I know that one of the things I want to really drive home for you in living your best life is you got to keep your eyes on the finish line. That's the whole concept today, all right, of living your best life, keeping your eyes on the finish line. I mean, that's really what caused the, the tortoise or the turtle to win the race. He, he won the race because he, he never forgot that he was shooting for the finish line. So he didn't get distracted like the rabbit. He just kept his head down. He kept going. He was consistent. And he kept going towards the finish line. Why can't we just do that in life? Like if we could just do that in our spiritual life, everything would be great. That simple little statement, wouldn't it be awesome if you could just like stay consistent and keep going towards the finish line? But what happens for us? We get distracted. Why? Because we're human. In our humanity, there's a lot of things that get in the way in this race that we're trying to run and this best life we're trying to achieve. It is possible for you to live your best life, right? But you gotta, we have to avoid the distractions. What else happens? We get lazy. We get lazy. Like we've done it so much and we're just like, man, I've just done too much. I'm just going to kick back. I'm just going to remove myself, disengage. I'm going to, you know, take a retreat for a while. The other thing that happens is we get prideful. We get super prideful. Like, look how much I've accomplished. Look how much I've done. Like, I don't need to be, you know, mingling with other believers. Like, look, I've accomplished things. Look how good I am. Like, I've gone so far. And look, I've taken long vacations and still remain faithful to the Lord. So, and we get prideful. And then the other thing is this. We start celebrating before we finish. So many of us, the, the culture that we live in here in America is one that almost kind of like perpetuates, celebrate before the end, meaning this, work hard, then just go into retirement and do nothing. Celebrate before the end. See, the end of the race isn't at retirement. The end of our race is when we go to meet Jesus, when we stand before Jesus. That's the end of our race. It's not the same. It's not the same thing. And so, look, you can, you can really screw up your life if you start celebrating too early and you celebrate in the wrong way. Like, there was this track guy, uh, part of a college track team in Oregon, and, man, he was winning the race like no one's business. And then he starts celebrating a little too early. Check out what happens. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets picked by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. No, he will never make that mistake again. And neither would you if you were in that. But, I mean, why? Why did that happen? He took his eyes off the finish line. He got prideful, started celebrating too early. Guys, this is exactly what can happen in our, in our walk with Christ. And I don't want to see that happen for you. I don't want to see you be faithful for so many years and decades only to fizzle out in the end, only to get something less than first place. 
And it's not what God wants for our life either. In fact, God's word encourages us to do just the opposite. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. God encourages us to do this. He goes, look, I press on. This is the Apostle Paul. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What's the action step that Paul writes here? What's the action step God's calling us to? To do what? To press on. To press on. See, to press on means this, to have the kind of tenacity that you race after something with the desire to obtain it. Nothing's going to get in my way. I'm going to press on. I am going to do whatever it takes to win that race. Like that runner who, who lost that, who got second instead of first, if he just would have saw the finish line and gone, okay, now I'm going to run faster than I've ever ran before. Not only would he have won the race, but he would have won it with a long distance, right? But he lost sight of it. He, did, he stopped pressing on. But I want to give you a beautiful example of what it looks like to press on. There's another, staying in the theme of track, okay? A 600-meter race is basically a sprint, okay? And it's almost like three times around the, the track that they're, they're 600-meter tracks. So 200, 200, and then bam, they're done, and so in this race, it is a sprint. I want you to see a different example of this girl who teaches us what it really means to press on, keep your eyes on the finish line. Take a look at this race. The 600 meter underway, Heather Dorner to Minnesota finished second in this event a year ago. She is in lane four. And Dornan is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she's only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200-meter track here at the Fieldhouse. What a bold move by Fawn. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fawn Dorr moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornerton running second. Dornerton last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten championship, so they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend, and she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the bell lap. Dornerton falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dornerton is flying down the back she stretch. Is she catching is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. Well, she's got Fon. This is a gutsy effort by Dornerton. Can't she pull it off? She's moving to third. is amazing to, to fall in a 600 i mean this is basically a sprint i mean this is an extended 400 basically for, to fall with 200 meters to go and get up and win that is unbelievable unbelievable that is unbelievable it's inspiring isn't it you know what i love about this example is that it shows us that in living your best life doesn't mean that your best life is going to be a perfect life that there will be moments when you fall. Living your best life has everything to do with how you're going to get back up. Do you get back up? Do you keep your eyes on the finish line? And do you get back up and you keep running? 
Like, I never thought, guys, okay, I'm your pastor. I love you, okay? I hate running. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, I can learn some serious life lessons from that. Amen? I mean, I want that kind of tenacity that she has in my spiritual life. I want that kind of perseverance in my spiritual life. And when I get knocked down, when I trip myself or when I get tripped by others, I want to get back up and I want to keep running. Because pressing on, that's what it requires. It requires you to bounce back up and keep running even after you fall. To not give up, to not quit. But I'll tell you, one of the things that pressing on biblically, this pressing on requires from you, is to not settle for second. Did you realize that there is no second place in living your best life? It's either you live your best life or you, you don't. I get it. Like You might think to yourself, like, man, that sounds harsh. But no, the reality is this. You're either going to live your best life or you're going to live something else. And God's calling you and me to live our very best life. So I want to take us back to Philippians chapter 3. I want us to bring in now uh, verse, parts of verse 13, right before with what we read. Okay, because there's a couple of things that we're encouraged to do if we want to live our best life. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, this first starts out and says this, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race. And receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now look, there's two things in this passage that you've got to get locked down. We're encouraged to do this. First and foremost, forget the past and look forward. There's too many of us that are trying to move forward in our Christianity, but we're looking backwards. We're going to talk about that today. Okay. The other thing we're going to talk about today is the second thing that we're encouraged to do here. And that's this, to see the goal and the prize as the same thing, being Jesus. Now, we're not equipped to do this. This is not what we're groomed to do. We aren't raised in an environment where the goal and the prize are the same thing in hardly anything. I mean, think about the races that we just watched, right? The goal was to come in first place, but coming in first place is not the prize. The prize actually comes later when they stand on the award ceremony you know, uh, platforms and they get what? The trophy or they get the medal. That's the prize. For achieving the goal. In Christianity, the goal and the prize are the same thing. I'm living my life to honor Jesus, and the prize is Jesus. <laughs> when the goal and the prize become the same thing, guys, I'm telling you, it motivates you, it drives you to live your best life because your eyes are now focused on the finish line. Jesus now becomes the finish line. He's the finish line of how I live my life today to honor him. He's the finish line at the end as I stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So the big question today is this, how in the world, how can you live your best life keeping the finish line in sight all the time? I want to give you a couple of thoughts on that, but it's all going to come out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So if you have a Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that's where it's going to be, okay? But the very first thing that you got to do, so no, we don't want to go there, right? I know, I, I know, I, I feel like you feel like I threw a curveball at you, all right? I didn't, I apologize. But the first thing is this, we want to walk, we want to walk in the footsteps of the faithful and set a path for others to follow. That's the very first thing we've got to consider, if you're going to keep the finish line in sight, okay, you're going to live your best life. You've got to walk in the footsteps of the faithful and set a path for others to follow. Now, let me give you an example of it. I, I, like, to, I like to hike mountains. I like to climb mountains. 
Um, I, I like the ones that you walk up versus the ones that you scramble up. But nevertheless, I mean, I've scrambled up them as well. And you get to like 13,500, 800 feet, and I got to like scoot across the knife edge where it just drops off on both sides. But that's not the story I'm going to tell you today. Although I got a great video of that, but it's super embarrassing. Because <laughs> I'm screwing across this knife edge at like 13,800 feet, and it just drops off on both sides. Literally, I'm on it, and I'm pulling myself across it, and my leg locks up. It's like the only time in my whole life I've ever, I've ever said, sweet baby Jesus, like that. I was like, oh. and my buddy's got it on video, and it is not good. Okay. All right, it's not good. Yeah, someone's like, show that. I'll show that on another Sunday. I'll show that on another Sunday. But when you're thinking about walking in the footsteps of the faithful and setting a path for others to follow, I want you to consider this. I've hiked up Mount Holy Cross, okay, more than once. The first time I walked up Mount Holy, or climbed up Mount Holy Cross, I followed the trail, the trail of the faithful who had gone before me. It was pretty cool. The second time that I went, I took some guys from the church. And guess, guess what happened then? They walked in the path that, in the trail that I had walked on. It's interesting that when you, in your Christianity, when you follow in the footsteps of the faithful who have gone before you, you are also now becoming part of that trail or that journey now that others get to follow in behind you. This is now the journey of every Christ follower. And God's word kind of puts it in an interesting perspective in verse 1 where he says, Therefore, since you are, or we are, surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So here we are. We are walking now on the trail of this huge crowd of witnesses, right, to the life of faith. Like, we're walking on the trail of those from the Old Testament who stayed faithful to the Lord. We're walking on the trail of our grandparents' generation. We're walking basically in the footsteps of our parents' generation as they have, have followed the Lord as well. And, you know, an encouraging thought occurred to me as I was thinking about this and writing it down that if they have remained faithful to the Lord and lived their best life, guess what can happen for you and me? <laughs> it's possible, guys. I know. Culture changes. The world changes, right? Like my grandparents didn't carry around a cell phone in their hand. But it doesn't mean that they, that they didn't have different kind of obstacles that they had to overcome to remain faithful. In the Old Testament, they had different things than we do now, having Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting again. But it doesn't mean that they didn't have their own obstacles. See, every generation has their own obstacles. But if, if past generations can remain faithful to the Lord and accomplish the race and finish it strong and live their best life, so can you. And I think that's good news. Amen? Right, but the other thing that was in that scripture was this. It said this, to strip off, watch this. Remember the language. It said to strip off every weight that slows you down, comma, especially the sin. Like the sin is the obvious. Look, if you've got sin in your life, you're doing things that are you know, anti-God's word, that's going to slow you down. That's going to hold you back. That's going to keep you from getting where you want to go. The, the thing that kind of catches us off guard is that there are other things. Strip off every weight that slows you down, comma, especially sin. What are these other things that aren't necessarily sin, but they're slowing you down? They're weight in your backpack, keeping you from climbing the mountain. Some of those things are relationships. 
They're just relationships. Some of them are self-confidence. You've lost the confidence to follow Christ. You've lost the confidence in yourself to remain faithful. You've, somewhere along the way, you lost the confidence. Or maybe it's this, this, but you haven't forgiven yourself. There's things in your past that you have yet to let go of, that you're hanging on to. It's almost like you're holding them over your head. And like I said to a group of people earlier this week, whatever you hold over your head, God can't put under your feet. Whatever you hold over your head, you hold it against yourself, God can't set you free from it and put it under your feet so you can walk on top of it. And so I'm just saying, like, some of you, that, like, that's what it is. Others of you, it's just wasting your time. It's just time wasted all along the way. And so it's this extra weight that's in your backpack that's keeping you from being able to climb the mountain. So what is it that's, that you're carrying that's slowing you down from living your best life? Can I just suggest this? Before the end of the day and before you walk out of whatever auditorium you're in today, give it to Jesus. Surrender it to him. But there was another thing that was in that passage that I think is going to help you live your best life. In fact, I would just ask you to entertain the idea of what would it be like if you started to think of yourself in that huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Why does the huge crowd of witnesses have to be everybody that's gone before us? When, look, I'm following in the footsteps of those who have gone before me, but I'm also part of blazing the trail for my children and, their, and my grandchildren that are behind me. So am I not also part of this crowd of witness that's encouraging the next generation when it comes to faith? Yes, I get it. It could be just a heavenly host of angelic beings or, you know, those of the Old Testament or whatever. It could be that, right? But I'm saying to you that I think there's something healthy about the fact that you put yourself into that crowd and you recognize there are others that are watching me. There are others who are gaining their foothold in Christianity because of the example that I am setting. I just think that there's something about that that you want to make sure you don't forget why? Because you will be remembered. The question is, what will you be remembered for? I know it's a morbid thought to think about this, but get it, right? Jesus doesn't come back. All of us have a funeral moment. All of us, so whatever auditorium you're in, are going to have a moment where our casket sits in front of this auditorium, and things are going to be said about you. You're going to be remembered. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7.2 which is a highly encouraging verse, so I'm going to use it for you. That was a bit sarcastic. It says this, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. See how encouraging it is so far? <laughs> After all, everyone dies. It's like he doubled down on encouragement there. So the living should take this to heart. But, but in all reality, this scripture is actually very profound. Because it really is better to spend your life at a funeral. Why is that? Because what do you get? You get the example. You get to hear the example of how others have lived their life. But aren't you also at the same time contemplating how are you living your life? When I'm at a funeral, I'm thinking about what's the example I'm setting? See, that's why it's saying here it's better for that to happen, although it sounds a bit morbid. So you will be remembered, but what will you be remembered for? What will people say about you? Will they say that you lived your best life? Or will they have to skirt that issue? Or will they have to say other things than that person lived their best life? You know, what path will they say that you walked in life? Meaning, 
What were the, what were the goals, the agendas, the, the Christ-likeness? What was, what was the attributes of God that you walked out? And will they say that, yes, this was a beautiful example, follow in their footsteps? Or will they talk about your life in some kind of like a, you know, abstract kind of a way and never recommend to anybody that's in the audience of your funeral to walk the exact same path? You will be remembered, but what will you be remembered for? So here's what we do. We're walking in the footsteps of the faithful who have gone before us, but we also have to realize we're blazing a trail for others to walk. That will help you. Just that alone will help you live your best life. And it will help you keep your eyes on the finish line. But there's more to these couple of verses. The, the next thought was this. you got to run with endurance. Run with endurance. you got to get that picture of that girl. Like, I mean, she falls. She gets back up. And some level of endurance, adrenaline, something kicks in. And she becomes another person. And, man, she does the impossible. There's some endurance. Have you ever... Th- have you ever uh, looked at or watched one of these Ironman races, these like, mega triathlons, where these guys and gals, they swim 2.4 miles, and then after that, they come right out of the water, and they get on a bicycle, and they bike for 112 miles, and then they get off the bicycle without stopping at the McDonald's drive through and start running 26.2 miles, one right after the other after the other. I, look, I love extreme sports. This is beyond me. I love thinking about extreme sports. I get tired just thinking about this. I feel defeated. Like, I'm like, I drowned. Like, that would be, that's where it would end. My whole race. Forget the bike. Don't even bring a bike. I don't even need running shoes. I'm dying in the water. That's it. That's my race. It's over. It's unbelievable. Just think about the endurance that they have to bring to this race. Think about the mindset they have to be in. Think about all of the work that they had to do. And now kind of bring a portion of that concept over to your spiritual life because that's what we're, in, that's what we're encouraged to do from God's word. We're encouraged to run this race with a level of endurance that might at times feel like it's beyond you. Hebrews chapter 12, again, verse 1, finishing out the verse, it said this, and let us run with what? With endurance the race that God set before us. How many of you guys feel like sometimes life is just too hard? Don't raise your hand. How many times do you feel like you're just like always like climbing uphill all the time? Right? I just want you to know the race is called life. God's the one who designed it. He put it before you. What is it that God wants to give you then to accomplish it? Endurance. It's an endurance beyond what you can do. It's an endurance beyond what you can gain in your own strength. Some of your versions of the Bible might use the word patience. That doesn't quite seem like it fits right, but it does. It's a patient endurance. It means this, that when I get knocked down, like the girl in the video, I get back up and I keep running towards the finish line. It's a patient endurance right, where I'm never going to surrender. I'm never going to quit. I'm patiently enduring, knowing that I'm running this race called life till the end when I stand before Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I got my eyes on the prize. He's both my goal and he is my prize. But the other interpretation of that word endurance or this patient endurance is to do this, is to live life or to run this race with joyful hope. With a joyful hope. 
I don't know about you, man, but sometimes I've driven down the road, I've seen people running, and on their face looks like, I'm being tortured, save me. And then I pass other people, and they got a smile on their face, like they're coming from a party or something. And I'm like, I don't even know how you have a smile that big on your face. And what, then, you know, the people that really confuse me are the people that can run long distances and hold whole conversations. Sometimes I can barely walk through the mall and hold a conversation with you. And they're running miles holding conversations. I, I, don't, I don't get it, right? But there's this joy. There's some people that have this joyful endurance in what they're doing, and that's what you and I are called to do, to help you understand what this really means. Paul, even he spoke to the, the church in Thessalonica, and I thought this might be additional scripture to kind of help you understand what this endurance looks like. He, he, he writes to them and encourages them, and he says, look, as, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and what? And the enduring hope that you have, why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's something about the Lord Jesus Christ living in them. Their faith that they have in him that causes them to have this enduring hope, this enduring, joy-filled hope that no matter what they're facing, no matter what they're coming up against, they're remaining faithful. They're pressing on. They're moving forward. So look, church, look, you can be grumpy if you want. You can be grumpy and you know, think God doesn't like me and the world's against me. You can have that kind of attitude if you want, or you can have enduring hope as you run towards the finish line. If you choose enduring hope, you're going to live your best life, and you're going to keep your eyes on the finish line. Are you following me on this? So how, can you, how do you run then with endurance? Well, what I love about God's word is verse 2, right after that, this is what it says. We do this by, ding, 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 ding. Like, whoa, hold on. God's word's got serious application in it. How do you do it? How do you live a life with this enduring hope, this endurance that has a joy-filled hope component to it? Well, we do this by what? Read it with me. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I know you were hoping for a much deeper, profound kind of thing. That was a lot harder for you to do. It was going to take months to perfect it. But no, it's super simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Basically, it's saying this. Keep looking forward. Just keep looking forward. To who? Look forward to Christ. He is the champion. What, what does it mean to be the champion? It means to have won. That's what it means. It means to not have just have won, but to be the champion is that you've won. No one else can ever compete with you. Jesus is the champion when it comes to life. He is the wind in your sails. If he's the champion at life, it's only he that can help you win. That's why it says you can't perfect your faith. Only he can perfect your faith. So what is it that our job is? Keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep looking forward. Then what does he do? As we keep looking forward towards him, he perfects our faith. Why? Because you can't perfect your faith. Maybe you can think of it this way. When you drive your car down the road, there are two pieces of glass in front of you. There's the windshield, and then there's the rearview mirror. Now, when you drive down the road, you're going forward. Which one are you looking through? You better be looking through the windshield. <laughs> Anybody that tries to go forward while staring at the rearview mirror is an accident waiting to happen. Agreed? 
Of course, it makes common sense. Some of you are like, oh, man, that's my problem. <laughs> if, that is, if that's seriously your problem, just pull your driver's license out and please hand it to the person next to you right now. <laughs> just give it to them and go, I can't believe I've been doing that this whole time. Just give them your driver's license and just walk away, okay? Just do it. But yeah, this is before us. It's like this huge screen of glass. That's over to look forward, look, look through to live this life. Guys, that's Christ. That's Christ. We need to reverse it. For many of us, that's the world. And Jesus is the rearview mirror. We're wondering why we keep crashing. We need to reverse it. Make Christ the bigger. Make Christ the best. Make Christ the image that you're chasing. Make him your focus. And when you make him your focus, then he gets a chance to perfect your faith. You keep looking forward, he keeps perfecting your faith. So whatever you're looking backwards at, if you're looking in the rearview mirror because something in your past keeps haunting you, your past failures, your past decisions, your past mistakes, can I just say this? This is a beautiful day to bring those to the Lord and say, God, would you, I give you my past. It's distracting me from living my best life. Help me to forgive myself. Help me to get beyond this pain and this hurt. Maybe you need to go see a counselor. Maybe you need to go see a pastor. Maybe you need to confess some things to a friend. I don't know what you need to do. But whatever you need to do, if the past is affecting your current, if it's haunting your day today, it's haunting your future, let's get it off the backpack so we can live our best life and we can follow Christ. Amen? And there's some wonderful things for you. Go ask help. Just ask for help. I dare you. Ask for help. I know it's hard to do. Ask for help. Lastly, let's wrap this up. The last thing that I would encourage you to do out of this passage, um, if you want to live your best life and obviously keep your eye on the finish line, is this. You never forget the price that Jesus paid for your life. It's a significant price he paid for your life. I, I don't know about you. I, I, like, I don't like to spend money, but I like, I like to buy things and know that I bought something for a good value. Like I got it for less than what it's actually worth. Anybody else with me? You guys like to save some money? Like, look, isn't it awesome when, you know, your wife comes home and she's like, hey, babe, I've been shopping today and I saved 10 bucks on this and 20% on that and $50 on this. And you just look at it and you go, honey, please stop saving us money. <laughs> isn't that an awesome day? How much money she saved you? I think, honey, you're so good at saving us money. It's amazing. But I like it too. I like it. So don't get me wrong. I mean, I like buying good things. I like buying things that have value. I don't like buying junk. I don't, like, I don't know about you, but I hate buying something for it to fall apart the next day. All right? Are you with me on that? Man. But I like to buy things that have value, right, or are going to maintain their value as well. And so that means sometimes you pay more money. Like there are, you, look, you can make a decision. If you got to go out of town, you can pick what kind of hotel you want to stay at. You can stay at the Holiday Inn Express, which is good. I'm going to stay at a Holiday Inn Express over the next couple of days. So you can stay at a Holiday Inn Express, or you can stay at the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton is going to charge you a lot more, right? But they believe that the value of that product is up here, and they think that Holiday Inn Express is down here. They're going to keep that price up there, and then their, their hope and their promise is that they're going to produce an experience for you that you're going to walk away and go, that was worth $1,000 a night. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck. Good luck on that one. Right, but you get it. So they, they hold the value up. Can I just say this and profoundly just drive this home inside your heart today? You were purchased by God. The, the monetary piece that he brought to purchase you was his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus gave up his life on the cross, died on the cross, 
That was the price for your life. So in light of that, can I just ask you a question? What is your life worth? What's it worth? If that's what it costs, what is it worth? What's it worth, guys? Look, I know, I know we got a sin problem. I know, we're humans, we have a sin problem, but you wanna know what's driving the sin problem? The bigger problem? The bigger problem is we forgot our worth and our value. When you forget your worth and your value, you'll never live your best life. When you forget what you're actually worth and the value that God placed on you, you can never keep your eye on the finish line because you're uncertain if he's even for you. You're wondering where he's at even in the race. For some of you, God's not even in, he's not even watching the race. So what would motivate you to finish, finish the race strong anyways? But man, if you believe that you have worth and you have value and that God bought you with a significant price called his son Jesus Christ, then you need to know this, he's both your goal and your prize. He's at the end of the race and you're gonna find him one day and he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. But at any given moment, you can look to your right or to your left and you will find that he's running the race with you. Because that's the value. That's the worth that you have. We'll wrap this up. We'll wrap this up with that that concept, that thought. What is your worth? What is your value in light of these last two verses? In verse two and three. Because, and it's talking about Jesus, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Now watch this. Think about all the hostility that he endured. Think about the price that he paid for your life. Think about the value and the worth that you have Now read the last sentence with me. Then you won't become what? Weary and what? There's a secret. A secret to living your best life. A secret to keeping your eyes on the finish line has to do with you recognizing your worth and your value on a regular basis. When you know what your worth is and you know what your value is, it gives you strength. When you know what your worth is in Christ's eyes and you know what your value is purchased by God, by his son Jesus Christ, it helps you to not give up. It's what gets the girl up off the track of life and goes, I'm going to catch back up and I'm going to be first. That's what it does inside of your life, guys. You have worth and you have value. And this is what I know about your worth and your value, that Jesus, he didn't die for junk. So you're not junk. Okay, God didn't purchase fakes. You're not just some fake Christian walking around either. You might feel like it some days, but you're not. Because you have worth and you have value. You have worth and a value that lets me know that God didn't invest his Holy Spirit into failures either. So you're not junk, you're not a fake, and you're not a failure. You are perfectly designed and created by God to live your best life. And to cross that finish line. And can I just suggest this? That the finish line of heaven, where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, can feel a little overwhelming. Can I just suggest, break it down and just live today to cross the finish line. And then tomorrow, live tomorrow to cross the finish line. Just live today to hear Jesus go, well done. Live tomorrow to hear him say, well done. He's for you. He's not against you. 
you have incredible worth and incredible value. So let's live our life for him and let's bring him glory and honor and let, by living our best life. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, I pray that today your church has been encouraged by your word. Your church has been inspired by your word. That they have been reminded that they have worth and value. Lord, I don't know, right now in my own spirit, I just sense that, man, there's somebody, there are people in this room that are listening to this message right now that needed to be reminded they have worth and value. They were getting ready to do some real foolish things in their life. Or maybe they've been living and doing some real foolish things in their life. But today, there's been an awakening because all of a sudden they recognize, I have, I have a value and a worth that's so much greater than what I thought. Lord, would you whisper that to those people right now? Would you remind those right now, God, that you're for them, you're not against them? That, Lord, for our church, sometimes we grow weary in doing good. Lord, for those who have grown weary in doing good and took their eyes off the finish line, may, may you reawaken, Lord, a, 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 an endurance that has joy and hope, uh, hope in their heart so that they can keep running the race and finish stronger than even when they started. Lord, show up in this time of worship. Meet us right here, God, as we pursue you. We chase after you. Lord, help us, empower us with your Holy Spirit to endure to the end and live our very best life that brings you glory and brings you honor. And everybody that wants to live a life like that said amen. Amen. amen.